0: Hello and welcome to Day Unplugged, Tuesday to December 2019 already. Mark Pender is stateside, Brian Jackson joins us from Sydney and I'm Jeremy Hawkins here in London. Not such a rosy start to this week then with stocks hit hard by president trump's announcement of new steel tariffs on argentina and brazil as we speak time is also running out before he has to make up his mind on a threatened fresh round of taxes on china so for now at least global trade looks set to remain main driving force behind market behavior but then christmas is coming so perhaps the spirit of goodwill will prevail in the end or well, not of course Inevitably, financial markets will be watching very closely. Anyway, since we have Bram with us this week, one burning question I'm sure we'd all like to ask him is this. We all know that the Aussies like to throw a shrimp on the barbie at any time of the year, but do they stick a turkey on it at Christmas? Uh,
1: not perhaps in the barbecue, but uh, a lot of people do stick them in the oven. But uh, we have other options as well as label to us. We can actually go out to the barbecue, obviously. Um, So, yeah, there's a bit of variety uh,
0: on offer here. Excellent. Good to know. Right. To market matters then. Um, Let's kick off with Japan. Some fairly sort of horrible numbers, I suppose, last week, suggesting that this October tax hike is having an impact. Uh, Retail sales, October IP really looking pretty terrible. I guess that means that a contraction in fourth quarter GDP is all the more likely now. Should we be worried about that? Does it matter for policy?
1: I don't think it matters hugely. I think if you um, look look at the September data, obviously we had a bit of a surge in a lot of those um, indicators uh, as Mm -hmm. people tried to get their spending in before the introduction of the consumption tax at the start of October. So I think that officials will sort of look through some of that month-to-month volatility and um, just consider the the underlying trend uh, in most of those indicators. And if you look at the underlying trend, um, the the economy is, is not doing um fantastic and uh you know there there are still some uh, rather subdued numbers in terms of manufacturing and uh and trade as well uh, but i don't think they're going to be too worried about uh you know that one month uh reaction to the consumption tax
0: so should we be looking for some kind of decent bounce back in the november numbers
1: i, th- I think you'll get a bit of a um yeah, some recovery. Uh, yeah, that that tends to happens whenever you have a one off move uh, in in consumption taxes or or other uh, tax rates. So yeah, again, just look to the sort of three or four month average before you make too many uh, big conclusions. I think.
0: Okay, fair enough. Um, what about Australia then? No change at the RBA yesterday, but clearly they're still talking about down, downside risks. So presumably we can't really rule out any further, any kind of, well, at least additional easing of some description there yet.
1: I think that's right. Um, bear in mind that uh, we, the, the Reserve Bank of Australia always takes a month off at the start of the year in January, so we won't have um, a meeting for another two months now that we had their meeting yesterday. So that will give them a bit of time to you know, see how things are going on the trade front, uh, see, how, um, see if there's any uh, signs that inflation pressures are building more strongly than they expect. But a lot of people are still expecting that when they do come back from uh, the, the summer break uh, down here uh, at the start of February that another interest rate uh, cut will be on the agenda. Uh, we've also had over the last uh, week or so, some uh, comments from the RBA Governor, Phil uh just talking about the, the potential for them to uh, pick up uh, unconventional monetary policies uh, mm-hmm. uh, going forward. So we haven't had quantitative easing here in Australia. They've been able to um, adjust policy just with the conventional uh, method of, of lowering interest rates, but we are now getting down to close to zero. Uh, it's been at 0.75% now. And so we had the Governor last week saying that yeah, you know, we still think there's a little bit more room to, to use interest rates as, as a policy tool. But if they were to get down to, you know, to 25 uh, basis points, that's when they would start to consider um, quantitative easing.
2: Well, you know, I have a question here, and that is, this is Mark, um, about, uh, and this goes with the ECB uh, earlier, uh, a couple months back. Uh, uh, was it their deposit rate that they cut by 10 basis yeah, points? Yeah, that's right. Um, um, would they start, uh, you know, uh, that incremental 25 basis points, could they start, uh, instead of doing 25, is, is 10 you know, basis points, that kind of idea? Would, do you think that that could be a possibility that we'll see with these banks? Um, not just the uh, RBA, but other ones, too, where they're running out of room down there. I mean, c- can it be that we're going to change what an incremental rate, high, uh, rate cut is?
1: Yeah, that's definitely an option. And you have seen just recently um, the Reserve Bank of India well, they went for, with 35 basis points. So I, I don't think people, you know, officials are necessarily uh, committed to the idea of just moving in 25 basis point steps. So you're, you're right. That could be a, an option if they are still a little bit wary about uh, you know, using these unconventional tools, if they could just go a bit slower with the, with the policy rates.
2: And we have India. Was it next? Is it tomorrow? Well, India's on uh, Thursday.
1: Is that right? Yes, it is. Uh, that's right.
2: Reserve Bank of India. And uh, what do you think?
1: Uh, well, I think that again, the the bias still is towards lower rates, but we have seen um, a, a bit of a pickup in inflation pressures uh, recently. So, you know, m- much of that though is just driven by food prices, so they might uh, look through, uh, you know, the the food price moves and just uh, try and analyze what the underlying price pressures are. So I think it's it's definitely on the table for some more um, uh, policy rate cuts there as well.
0: Kind of, just going back to Australia, so I saw some of those comments you mentioned sort of get down to 25 basis points on the official cash rate, then that could mean I start looking at QE. Do you yeah. think implicit within that is at this 25 basis point level, is it in terms of interest rates? Or do you think, well, that's when perhaps we'll bring in some form of non-monetary accommodation, but that in itself doesn't rule out the fact we could perhaps see rates going into negative territory?
1: Uh I think uh, the governor was pretty clear that he didn't want to go into negative territory. Um, so, you know, again, I think that would be definitely the, the case where they'd start using other tools. Bear in mind also that he's still trying to push the government to, to do more on the fiscal side. Right. Um, the government is still holding on to its commitment to uh, try and get the budget back into surplus this financial year. Um, and they've, they've come, up with it, come under a fair bit of pressure from the RBA and, and sort of the media to, to do more on the fiscal front. So, um, but at, at the moment... Uh, I don't think the RBA wants to, to go into the sort of uncharted territory uh, by lowering interest rates into negative rates.
0: Okay. I can't leave your side of the world well without a bit on China. I saw at weekend time, sort of our sort of time, the uh, manufacturing PMI crept a little bit higher again. Yeah. Um, are things starting to look a bit better out there or the level's still too low that it doesn't really make any difference?
1: Uh, it's been trending high for the last two or three months. So, you know, it, it's not... Um, I don't think it's uh, something that we can completely dismiss, but you know, again, if you look at the level, overall conditions are still pretty subdued uh, across you know the Chinese manufacturing sector, and that's you know obviously uh, a large part due to the to the ongoing trade uncertainty that we see. That said, you know the, the the officials in Beijing have responded by you know sort of tweaking some of their policy tools to improve liquidity and and get uh, you know banks lending into that sector a bit more, and so I think. You know, you're probably seeing a little bit of an impact there. But, yeah, it's still a long way off where they'd like it to be.
0: OK, fair enough. Right, Mr. Pender. Yeah. Back from your vacation last week, you were sadly missed. Yes. Um, I see Mr. Trump um, has been making it more noise that the Fed should do something about dollar strength, which um, so I'm not sure that really matters that much or not. But obviously, what does matter a great deal is Friday's employment report. Mm-hmm. Any thoughts on that, please? Well, there's going to be a
2: bounce back effect is what is expected uh, from the GM strike. Uh, the economy consensus here is 180,000 uh, non-farm payroll growth versus uh, 128 in October. So um, we're going to probably see, you know, coming back to where we were trending before this, um, the interruption in the auto sector, uh, the unemployment rate is uh, unchanged at a very, very low 3.6%. That's the expectation. Uh, and just may not nothing really significant with uh, wage pressures. Uh, in, very small, 0.3% versus 0.2% in the prior month uh, increase on a monthly basis. But the year-on-year is still seen at 3%, which is a pretty – it's not subdued. It's somewhere between modest and moderate. Um, if there is a – uh, a significant breakdown in this report, and we don't see what we expect on the downside. Well, that could uh, lift uh, expectations for uh, an FOMC uh, rate action in the following week, uh, which uh, is it's not really expected, but it could it's it could definitely be on the table. Um, I think the Fed they stepped back, they went into neutral at their meeting in October, and they probably want to stay that way. But the employment reports are too big and too important, um, and. and you know, can uh, and can make uh, changes for their plans.
0: Do you think all this pressure coming out of the White House would make them, at least at the margin, that much less less inclined to come out and do anything further with rates?
2: Boy, that's a hard call. But let's look at let, let's look at the history of what's been going on here for the last year or so. So, um, the uh, uh, Donald Trump started um, uh, uh, jawboning the Fed last year. Uh, that's while they were raising rates. So they didn't stop raising rates. They had already. Um, uh, uh, telegraphed that actually under uh, uh, Janet Yellen, uh, so uh, they just kind of uh, uh, went through with what they had uh, planned. But then uh, at the beginning, at the after a, a full year of job owning, uh that uh, then they started coming uh, uh, into uh, accommodation, three rate cuts in a row now. Um, so. Uh, you know, does that, I mean, so at, at first there was resistance, immediate resistance, you could say. And then, although the Fed works tries to work on a, not the day-to-day market, you know, day-to-day uh-huh. thing that we do or, or that uh, the markets do, um, they try to extend uh, time. So, um, uh, the, so they're now, they're cutting rates. Are, are, does that mean, and. Appeasement does that mean that they're um, um, you know reacting to the uh, administration? But we have to realize that um, the Federal Reserve is not as powerful as the executive branch. They you know however much uh, uh, they would appear to be or they can print money uh, without uh, authority or without any uh, uh, you know authorization from. Um, from elected officials, but uh, they are subject to political pressures and they're subject to reappointments and they're subject to... possibilities because remember last year we were talking about uh, Trump was talking about demoting or, or firing or that or mm-hmm. these were the things that were talking um, that were in the, the discussion things that had never been really discussed before so there it's um, the central bank is uh, is a central you know uh, authority a central feature but it is the play there's a play that uh, that that's there that uh, maybe that they're um, sensitive to uh, they certainly haven't um, thrown it in their face or thrown it in uh, in the president's face uh, uh, saying you know, we're not going to do what, what what you're suggesting or what you're uh, pushing for um, they step back and, and go into neutral and then and they and they kind of let's face it they hide behind their empiricism and their uh, and their uh, definitions and their plans and they they talk in this um, Almost like this other, the real world isn't actually there. So they can be close, they actually say they don't even discuss it. In their policy meetings in the boardroom. I mean, is that possible? I don't know, but, uh, uh, but but they must talk about it coming into the boardroom and going out of the boardroom, right? Um. Um, so um, so it's it's its own little world, I think, and it's hard to 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 say whether or not they're uh, they uh, But the Federal Reserve is was you know born out of uh, out of controversy and born out of struggle a hundred years ago, and it's been that way through it was that way through the depression. It was that way. Uh, with uh, Volker, uh, and then with Bernanke doing the uh, um, uh, quantitative easing. Oh, that! Ha- Before I forget, I have I have a question, Jeremy. Now the ECB was going to what r- ramp back up QE last month? Is there any? Uh, is is that right? And and did they do it?
0: Well, yes, that's right. QE has started. Um, according to the numbers we have out so far, they they bought net assets, net purchases of just over 20 billion um, in November. Um, their target, their average monthly target, is 20 billion euros. So they looks like you know they started. They're off and running again. And of course, as uh, we know from the, the previous communiques, there's no official end to this quantitative easing program. Now it's uh, open-ended, and it'll only finish when the ECB. Bel- believes um that it's done whatever it's necessary to actually get inflation back up towards two percent um and i suppose if, uh, have you finished on your side with the states because if so i'll move on to onto oh, europe
2: um yes well let me i uh, i think I'm, I'm 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 finished let me oh, actually see. before you finish actually sorry so i can just interrupt before <laughs> yeah, you do finish ahead.
0: before you get off too quick um yeah i see we got the international trade figures out thursday given the you know, the focus yep. on global trade at the moment anything of any interest we should be looking at there
2: well it's um, as you know the, the what we're seeing now is contraction on both imports and exports but the actual um, trade balance itself is um, it's actually moving within a, a normal pattern. Uh, sometimes it's up and sometimes it's down. But behind the scenes, there's a contraction of trade on both sides, of both imports and exports. That's the curious thing that we're seeing. So it's not really hasn't really weighed yet immediately on GDP, for instance. But uh, how long can this go on? What this is is this is a shortage of goods. Right, <laughs> there's there's less goods around. I guess there was such a giant surplus of goods that it hasn't had an inflationary effect yet, and it hasn't had uh, a ramping up of domestic uh, manufacturing uh, yet. Um, but you know, the more th- you you put tariffs on other people or in, uh, on other countries, that th- these are goods and services that have to be. Either uh, not used or or or, or, un, uh, or they have to be replaced, and uh, we haven't seen that replacement demand. Um. Certainly, the manufacturing sector is struggling. Even though we've seen, like you, you were you were talking about in China, and the PMIs and, and and elsewhere, that there seems to be a lack or uh, an easing in the the de- the de- 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 deterioration. Now it's kind of stable, but um, you know we could see that deterioration uh, re- resume and actually uh, uh, get. We're well, speaking of deterioration. What about now? The the Swiss National Bank has a meeting. Is that right next week, or is it, it this? Does- week?
0: It does indeed. So, sort of big Thursday next week, we'll have both the uh, the bank of uh, sorry, the um, the Swiss National Bank and the ECB meeting as well. So, it, are there
2: are there any expectations that they're going to, uh, if they can't cut rates because they're already negative territory, are there expectations that they're going to increase stimulus somehow?
0: Well, I think the expectation at the moment is that um, as far as yes, well, certainly the ECB is almost done deal. They won't be doing anything. their policy is set for the time being. With regards to the Swiss National Bank, you've got to say yes, there's a possibility they could come out. And if they were to do anything, I think they'll probably cut interest rates further into negative territory. So their uh, policy rate, as they call it, is a minus 0.75 percent at the moment. They could, in theory, perhaps take that down as low as 1 percent. Is there
2: anybody lower than that? Are they the um, lowest?
0: No, I think that's that's just about it, if my memory serves me correctly. Um, but of course, a problem for the Swiss National Bank is that interest rate levels don't always have that much impact upon the Swiss franc, because they've been working with a uh, negative interest rates. Uh, what the deposit rate was has been at the in negative territory for the best part, uh, where I'll be three, four years now, and yet the Swiss franc is still you know so strong within Europe. But I think just in terms of you know next week's meeting, the good news for them is uh, looking at their key FX rate, which for them is the Swiss franc versus the euro. Well, the Swiss franc's really no stronger against the euro now than it was at the time of the last MPA meeting uh, back in uh, three months ago. And at the same time, inflation, although it's still nowhere near where they want it to be, uh, we had some numbers out uh, this week, indeed earlier on this morning, which showed a slight uptick in inflation. So for the time being, I guess we can say the immediate pressure on the SMB to come out and do any additional has probably gone out the window. But that said, were something to happen from you know, international trade or com- comments or you know, political uncertainty, which drove the Swiss franc significantly higher, then, yeah, you've got to think they'll come out and do something again.
2: But but for the Swiss, the employment is solid, right? And uh, how's your GDP doing? It, it's, on the uh-
0: whole, it's, I mean, one of the interesting things is, on the Swiss National Bank's standard argument is that the Swiss franc is too strong. Um, yeah, they will no doubt next week again reiterate the view that it's overvalued or at least highly valued. And they've been you know, towing that line for an awful long time now. However, when you look at the national accounts, well, the, the overall Swiss economy is doing OK. In the that gets right, second quarter, quarterly growth in Swiss GDP was 0.3 percent. So that's just on a quarter on quarter basis. So that's better than the eurozone. Uh, in the fourth quarter, it came in at 0.4 percent on a quarter. So a third quarter it's 0.4 percent quarter on quarter so again that's better than the eurozone average and interestingly most of the growth in the fourth quarter came out of a big increase in exports um, so if you look at the contribution of net exports to swiss growth it's been you know significantly positive over the last couple of quarters and that's during the period when the swiss franc has been particularly strong so there are some i think you know at least semi-legitimate arguments to the effect that you know yes the swiss franc looks to be strong historically but it's not really had that much impact upon what's going on with Swiss real real GDP growth. So I think really from that angle alone you can say well do they need to cut interest rates any further anyway? Um, OK, quickly then, the rest of Europe, I should just pull in some of the numbers uh, from the Eurozone. I guess the only one which has suggested any kind of possible change from this sort of you know sluggish growth, weak inflation environment we've had for so long um, was a surprise in the flash November inflation report. Uh, that, that showed core inflation jumping up to 1.3 uh, percent in November uh, from 1.1 percent in the final October print. Now, that equals its highest reading since October. October 2015, certainly wasn't expected. And of course, the question now is, is this just a one-off blip, which for choice would be my guess, or is it finally the start of a sort of a change in trend that the central bank's been hoping for for so long? What what country is this? I'm sorry, what country is this? This this is the Eurozone. This this is overall Eurozone inflation Um, we had out last week. Um, Now, let's say if this is the start of a trend, then all of a sudden um, it means that, you know, the idea of any additional ECB easing pretty well goes out the window. Um, If it turns out it goes back down again in December and January, then pretty well we're back to square one. But what we can say going into uh, next week's ECB meeting is that because inflation or core inflation, I should say, has moved up, those members of the council who weren't at all happy about the ECB's decision to cut interest rates and reinstitute quantitative easing at the september meeting i'm not going to be particularly happy at the start of next week's meeting either um uk wise obviously we're just over a week away now from the, uh, the 12th of December election that nobody really wants. Um, not really too much more to say on that at the moment, bar the fact for what they're worth. The opinion polls currently suggest that the Conservatives um, have a comfortable percentage majority. They're still running at round about 42 percent. The opposition party, main opposition party Labour on 31, Liberal Democrats 14 percent and the Brexit party 4 percent. Whether these polls are going to be accurate or not, no one's got any idea. But it may or it may not be worth mentioning that something which certainly gave the pound a lift last week was that the only poll that successfully forecast a hung parliament back in 2017, uh, when Theresa May was expecting to was expecting to walk that election quite comfortably. So the only poll that forecasts a hung parliament currently shows the Conservatives taking 359 seats, which would give them an outright majority of 68, which essentially would give Boris johnson you know the opportunity to do whatever he wants in terms of government policy so that would almost guarantee brexit happens um, at the end of january next year indeed if not even sooner and then the question mark comes about what the heck happens with regards to a trade deal thereafter but anyway that's just where the polls are currently and you either believe them or you don't
2: what the conservatives get that is that a sell the pound
0: this is the interesting one i mean, it's trying to Go through this my own brain. I mean, what we can say without any shred of a doubt I think is if we were to see a fairly sizeable Labour labour majority, the pound would be hit significantly. Although Labour, would a Labour win would increase the chances of uh, a soft Brexit or indeed because they're prepared to hold a second referendum, even stopping the entire Brexit process. Uh, the, you know, if you like, the anti-industry nationalisation policies and so on, that the Labour Party has committed itself to in the manifesto uh, would be received like a lead balloon amongst international and UK investors. So we would see the pound come off sharply. So that would it, overshadow the effect of Brexit? Or it no? would. It would. I mean, at the end of the day, I think, you know, you know domestic economic policy has to go on. Brexit's going to happen or it isn't. But, you know, policy, if Labour were to win comfortably, it's going to be here for the next five years. Um, if Boris Johnson were to win, I think it really kind of comes down the size of the majority. If he was to get a huge majority and actually led to you know, investors starting to speculate, well, OK, that pretty well guarantees Brexit at the end of January. But because he's not particularly pro-EU, it's worth remembering all we've got so far is a deal agreed between Boris Johnson and the rest of the EU about the UK's withdrawal from the European Union. It says nothing at all about what's going to happen to future trade relationships. That has to be agreed between, well, effectively from now until the end of next year, which most people regard as not being long enough anyway. So the danger then becomes that since Boris Johnson appears to be more interested in seeking trade, trade deals elsewhere, we could end up by the end of 2020 with what amounts to a hard Brexit. So, I mean, answering your question starts becoming quite complicated. Traditionally, a Tory majority, a conservative majority, is good news for the pound and good news for the stock market. In this particular case, I think, were it to be a large conservative majority, we may actually see the pound rally initially and then start coming off again. I think the stock market may perhaps do a little bit better. But um, I think, you know, investors will in some ways, until this Brexit, the whole picture is sorted out, it's going to be difficult for investors to really make their minds up which way to go. Okay um since we are running in danger of running a little bit over schedule here let me just round off with um, other central bank stuff Bank of Canada yesterday um sorry, Bank of Canada um, upcoming on Wednesday. Um, expectations there on the whole for no change in policy. There is certainly, uh, I suppose, a minority, minority out there which believes that the Bank of Canada could come out and cut interest rates. But looking at the latest GDP figures for the third quarter, don't look too great at any 0.3% quarter on quarter. That's uh, what 1.3% as an annualised rate. But the slowdown really was just on the fall in exports. If you look at final domestic demand, that was up 0.8 percent so the domestic economy is actually doing quite well so chances are bank of canada on wednesday no change but keep an eye on them because there's still a possibility they may do something right anyone else for anything else oh, we covered the world i think we've done a pretty good job there Good. That's what we liked here. Okay, that's it then for today. Um, Thanks, as always, for listening from Mark, Brian and myself. Um, Do keep an eye on Global's economic calendar to make sure you're fully up to date with the latest key market moving data and events. And uh, we'll be back again next week. Bye for now.